speak through my words that your word may be heard, and being heard may be believed, and being believed may be lived. Amen. The first time I went to visit my college girlfriend's family, I got lost. Lost enough that I was at the other end of the state by the time I was certain I'd missed the turn. And I had to turn around, go back, and try to navigate things differently on the way back. This was in the days when calling from the car was much less of a thing. So by the time I got there, my girlfriend was worried out of her mind. It was a little like a movie, albeit less because of the plot and more because my border-to-border -border round trip took all of about 97 minutes start to finish. You see, the state I was driving in was Connecticut along the North-South Corridor, and my directions from her family had been, when you get to Litchfield, go right on the other highway. She and her family couldn't believe it had taken me all the way to New Haven, 40 minutes south, to know that I wasn't in Litchfield anymore, and that I'd missed my exit onto the other highway. You go to Litchfield and turn right. How can you get simpler than that? How can you miss it? They asked me. But the sign did not say, you're now officially in Litchfield, turn right on this state route. It just listed a highway number, indistinguishable to me from the other signs with highway numbers on them. And I was from Ohio, where, as in Missouri, you can absolutely spend 45 minutes on the highway in the same metropolitan area. And so I missed the sign. It was there, of course, I just didn't see it. When they saw the sign for state highway number go this way, they knew it was the sign for home. When I saw it, I saw a random highway sign with no mention of Litchfield whatsoever. I didn't understand that this was the sign pointing me to that. It's funny how often we only see what we think we're looking for, and how easily we miss the signs that might set us on the right path. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, John tells us, and his disciples believed in him. Jesus did his first sign, revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The word was made flesh, dwelt among us, got baptized by John, and told some people, come and see, and they followed him and became his disciples. And the next thing is that he turns water into wine at this wedding feast in Cana as his first public sign. And his disciples believed in him. Not the bride and groom. Not the wine steward. Not even the servants who had drawn it from the jars and who we are told definitely knew where the wine had come from. His disciples believed in him. In other words, the strong implication of the narrative is that it was a powerful sign to those who were already following him, but only those who were already to look, looking to see a sign from Jesus end up seeing one. As hard as it seems like it might be to miss a sign as clear as changing water into wine, or even a miracle of, what do you mean, I didn't save the good wine for last, 
There's a lot to suggest that most of the people at the feast just thought the host was being delightfully quirky and keeping back the better wine for later. That the invitation of that sign was mostly just to keep drinking even after the wine had already been drunk. I don't think that was quite the glory that God's sign was meant to point to. But we see what we are prepared to see. This itself was a lesson that I didn't see nearly as clearly until about a year or so ago, when we realized that our overwhelmingly white community at Rockwell House would benefit from some unconscious bias training, and also that we had planned for that year to be focused as a year of discernment. And because these two things appeared in front of us at the same time, we needed a way to tie them together. And so we decided to frame the unconscious bias training as a part of our learning about discernment. And it was honestly not until we had already coupled the two that I noticed the absence of this conversation in most of the discernment work in our church. In the 20 or so years I'd been involved in conversations and practices around discerning questions like, where is God calling us next? What is God doing in this situation? Where do we see God in this? Not once had unconscious bias been assumed to be a part of that conversation. And yet, once we joined the two, once we heard ourselves saying and meaning, we believe that we will be better able to see and hear what God is showing and telling us about the next phase of our life together. If we first take some time to learn about where our blind spots must, might be, to wonder what we might not see even if God is showing it to us. It has become one of those signs that I cannot unsee. I hope and intend never again to teach or practice discernment of God's action and guidance without noting at the outset the ways that our answers to those questions of where we see God can be limited by the places we are willing to look, and how where we are willing to look is inescapably bound to how well we know where we might subconsciously not be looking. We see what we are prepared to see, and what we are not prepared to see we mostly miss. Even a sign as clear as Jesus in the flesh changing water to wine at our very party, we mostly miss if we are not prepared to see. It's one of the most consistent themes throughout both scripture and history. God is doing a new thing, and we are still looking for the old thing. Of course, not all discernment, not all looking, happens in a year-long community setting like ours did last year where official training can easily be part of it. So in our everyday lives as individuals and communities and societies, how do we learn to know and see the signs God is doing beyond where we expected to see them? I don't think there is an easy plug-and-play sort of answer to that, but I do think there are some tools that can help us with this work. And today I want to highlight two sets of practices in particular. Both sets are multiple item kind of lists, but the good news is that if you want to see them again later, 
Both are very easy to Google and to find online. Among the lesser read of Dr. King's words, separate from his speeches and sermons, there are a set of Ten Commandments for the nonviolent movement, a commitment card that he created in 1963 to guide those who were ready to dedicate themselves to the civil rights movement. They read as follows. I hereby pledge myself, my person and body, to the nonviolent movement. Therefore, I will keep the following Ten Commandments. Meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Remember always that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. Walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. Pray daily to be used by God in order that all might be free. Sacrifice personal wishes in order that all might be free. Observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. Seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. Refrain from the violence of fist, tongue, or heart. Strive to be in good spiritual and bodily health. Follow the directions of the movement and of the captain on a demonstration. I learned these rules from Bishop Michael Curry, our presiding bishop, who when he taught them to me, pointed out also how remarkable it was that the first commandment of Dr. King's movement of nonviolent action was not about an active action, but was to meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Certainly not everyone in the civil rights movement was a Christian, but for those who were a part of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, for those in the civil rights movement who understood themselves to be followers of Jesus, the first commandment was to look at Jesus again and again and again. And as Jesus said of the scriptural commandments, all the rest of Dr. King's commandments also follow from the first one. The life and teachings of Jesus show us what it looks like to walk and talk in the way of love, to be used by God in order that all might be free, to refrain from violence and commit to courtesy without reconciling oneself to the status quo of the world. And it is also from Bishop Curry that the second set of practices come, a set of practices that may well be inspired not only by the Bible, but by Dr. King's commandments, called the way of love. If you are a dedicated Episco geek, perhaps you're already familiar with the way of love, which Bishop Curry introduced this summer at General Convention as a set of practices for the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. They are equal parts simplicity and challenge, and they move in a repeating cycle Turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, go, rest, and then turn about again. We turn from what the world wants us to see and believe and look to Jesus. 
We learn, as Dr. King asked, from the life and teachings of Jesus, as well as the rest of Scripture, and from other sources, but always coming back again and again to Scripture. We pray, opening ourselves to direct relationship with Jesus. We worship, seeking God especially at the table where Jesus showed us this new sign of grace. We bless others, sharing with others both the ways we have seen God ourselves and the resources we have been given. We go into the world to pursue justice and to see what signs God is doing outside our own comfort zones, outside the places we have already encountered God. We rest, knowing that this looking and seeking and acting is the work of a lifetime, and that we need regular refreshment of body and spirit if we are going to make it through the work of a lifetime. Look at Jesus. Look at his life. Look for his presence. Look for his glory. Look for opportunities to show Jesus to others and to see Jesus where we never expected. Rest, rinse, and repeat. We see what we are prepared to see. We miss so much more that we never think to look for. So I invite you to consider this weekend as we honor Dr. King, where you find it easy to see goodness and grace and glory in the world, and where you do not. Sit and wonder why you find it easy in some places and difficult in others. Meditate on the life and teachings of Jesus. Ask yourself if there are places and people in whom it has simply never occurred to you to look for that goodness and glory. And then find one place to make a new start. One place to turn and look for a new sign. One entry point you maybe never noticed before to step onto the path of following Jesus. See what happens from there. Amen.